0: I'm Alberto Salvato. Welcome to Crime Time, a Virginia criminal law podcast. I'm here with Anna Dvorak, Anthony Norse, and Ann Thayer. Enjoy the show.
1: So here it is legal disclaimer because we are lawyers and we've got to write one. So if you are listening to this podcast, thank you. We sincerely hope you are listening to this podcast for its entertainment value and not with the intention of acquiring legal advice for any individual case or situation. I mean, come on, you wouldn't take advice from someone you have never met or spoken to directly, right? If you were bleeding profusely, you wouldn't listen to a podcast in hopes of a bandage somehow materializing over the internet and onto your 3D printer. Seeking actual legal advice can be just as important as a tourniquet. The hosts of this podcast are in no way intending to create an attorney-client relationship with any listener. Sorry, we are sure you all are great people, but we cannot stress enough how little we know of you and your case. And rather than risk an awkward moment, let us just remember we have never met. Nothing on this platform should be taken as legal advice for any individual case or situation. We are just a group of friends with differing opinions and viewpoints, which we will try to explore through discussions of current events, law changes, and whatever else floats our fancy.
0: Episode 10. I'm not with them. A few years back, I'm not sure if anybody remembers, I know maybe Tony doesn't, but there was this basketball player named Allen Iverson, uh, and he he was, was... I thought he was a bowler. Well... Funny you should say that, back in the early 90s, maybe mid-90s, he went out right when his basketball career was starting, and uh, him and a bunch of friends went over to a bowling alley and started having some, some good old bowling matches. Uh, I don't think he was a professional, but uh, something happened where it ended up turning into a big melee, and a group of people ended up uh,
2: getting the in a The allegation fight. was he was alleged, somebody said something racial to him, I think, is how...
0: Yeah, absolutely. If you if you look at the facts of the case, uh, it's actually called Iverson v. Commonwealth because it was a uh, he was charged ultimately with assault and battery by mob, uh, and he took it all the way uh, to to trial and then appealed it until it finally got reversed. Correct.
1: Right. He was convicted. So the fact is, there was a a jury in um, looks like City of Hampton that convicted him of this particular charge of being a member of a mob that injured with the intent to maim a particular person, which is a class five or class three felony, which um, which is five to 20 years. Um, so he was convicted of some significant time and his conviction was overturned on appeal.
0: Is that the only charge that he had? I'm getting, I did some research over the weekend and I, I looked up a whole bunch of mob cases and stuff like that. And there were a couple that, uh, people were charged with multiple crimes, like one was a robbery, as well as an assault and battery by mob. Uh, I'm trying to just get my facts straight before. before
1: well, he may much. have been charged with other things, but the it appears that what was appealed was the uh, 18241, which is the mob malicious wounding, okay. um, and that <laughs> was the issue that was appealed. So it may have been that he was only convicted of one thing, but is that was the only reading it the facts appeal. it
3: looks like they took him out some of his friends might have taken him out of the bowling alley pretty early on uh so other stuff might have happened after he left gotcha
0: and just to it would probably be helpful if we defined what uh uh 18.2 the code section 18.2-41 says uh and that says that any any and every person composing a mob which shall maliciously or, un- or unlawfully shoot, stab, cut, or wound any person, or by any means cause him bodily injury with intent to maim, disable, disfigure, or kill, shall be guilty of a class three felony, which a class three felony is pretty serious. In Virginia, it goes from five to 20 years, as Anna was saying earlier. And I think right, and also- what they're
1: saying is there was like a chair that was thrown and hit this girl in the head, and that's what caused the gash, and they were saying that the testimony was conflicting as to whether Alan Iverson flew through that particular chair.
3: Right. So I think just backtracking a little bit, uh, we're talking about a mob. And I think it's also important to talk about what the definition of a mob is, because under Virginia law, it's fairly loosely defined as any collection of people assembled for the purpose with the intention of becoming, uh, committing an assault and battery upon a person or an act of violence, as defined under the code. So it's a pretty loose definition under the code. I know there's some cases that tend to define it a little more carefully, uh, but for the definition of mob itself under the code, it's still pretty loose. And
0: not only that, I think a group can actually get together for other reasons, and then that group can change into a mob uh, at any given point. It doesn't, Virginia does not require like a, a deliberation period of a of, AU, hey, hey, uh, like say, imagine Anthony and I are in a group and we go out and we're having you know, wings at a a place. And all of a sudden we say to each other, hey, I want to go beat up that guy. We've just formed a mob, even though our initial group was to go out to eat.
3: And so, yeah, the case law talks about it becoming a mob without great deliberation. So it doesn't take a whole lot to turn from just a group of people into a legal definition of a mob.
1: And why that's important is in cases where they're not quite sure who did what or who's the most responsible, they want They don't want groups of people, the the code and the government doesn't want groups of people to take matters into their own hands and become violent so that you can, even if you don't stab or um, shoot someone, if they determine that you were part of a mob, you can be charged for that same action, regardless of, you know, whether you stabbed or shot anyone, which is very confusing for people because they're like, well, I didn't do anything. I was there. I was supporting my friend. But I wasn't. I actually, I didn't do the things they're telling me that they're accusing me of, um, and it's because they're accusing the entire mob of that. Um, and Alberta, what happened in Alan's case in Iverson's case?
0: You mean inside the bowling alley? What happened there, or besides the
1: bowling? Uh, well, there was bullying, but, <laughs> but what, not much what bullying, ultimate... apparently. No. <laughs> but actually, I, I should be, be more clear. Like, so he was convicted, but what hap- What did the court of appeals find? Did he find that he was acting as part of a mob?
0: No, they, they, they said there was enough to find uh, individual assault of conduct, but not that he assaulted anybody as part of a mob. So they couldn't prove that he himself uh, had come to some sort of an agreement or some sort of an understanding that he was acting as part of a. Mob. Uh, and if you read those facts carefully, there was one point where I think Alan Iverson was speaking to somebody uh, and the evidence came out that he never, this particular person, the victim, never saw Alan I- Iverson hit him or or he never hit that person. Uh, and this person was talking to Alan Iverson, got struck from a different angle by somebody else. And at that point, I think that's what Tony was saying, that Alan Iverson was basically taken out of the bowling alley. So the court of appeal said, "Wait, there may have been assault of conduct there, but the evidence in this the Commonwealth is burdened to prove that Alan Iverson was part of this group or had come to a, an agreement to be part of this group and acted in in uh, what, what's the word in uh, conjunction with this group."
2: Well, and that's a big point: is just because someone's charged doesn't mean they're going to be able to prove the case. So, people always think that once an officer charges you or charges are brought before the court that that means somebody's guilty, but you're presumed innocent. And the Commonwealth Attorney in Virginia has to convince a judge or a jury that you're guilty beyond a reasonable doubt, which in Virginia, if it's with a jury, it's going to take all of those jurors to agree. And when you have cases like this, where maybe you had a part in it, but not the highest level part, or maybe you left, or maybe there were multiple groups that did different things, that makes it confusing for a jury. And that's where the reasonable doubt can kick in.
3: And it's always interesting to me how the facts actually come out at a trial. Uh, When you're talking to a prosecutor, you're hearing one set of facts, you're hearing one point of view. But even with this case, it was interesting because there were a lot of witnesses, all of whom had some conflicting testimony about exactly how everything happened. And so uh, following up on what Anne was saying is very interesting what actually happens at a trial, even if it looks cut and dry when you're talking to a prosecutor, things happen during trial.
1: Right. And in this case, Alan Iverson received 15 years in prison for his role in the fight. And luckily for him, his conviction was overturned. But even prior to his conviction being overturned, there was an outcry in his particular community. And he actually was granted clemency um, by the current governor at the time. And he only served four months of that 15-year sentence before his conviction was overturned.
0: And thank God. I mean, he was look at what would have been lost uh, he had an incredible career in the nba uh even now he's doing a lot of uh, uh charity work uh, i think he's providing a lot of money for people who are up and coming stars in basketball he's paying for a lot of the the registration or administration fees so you never know it's 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 uh, he's a good story but you know of course all of this is is relevant these days because of what just happened january 6th and in, in uh in our government, in our United States, and that's with the uh, the attack on the Capitol. Uh, And we were talking about how this could possibly, if this was in Virginia, how the assault by mob rules would apply, and I think it's just an excellent discussion if we wanted to start on that.
3: And that's actually a good point about how uh, groups of people can transform from potentially a group, maybe protesters. Uh, but it's quickly turned into a mob as it's defined by the code under Virginia law anyway, because they may not have originally gathered with the thought that we're going to go attack some people. And maybe some people had that intention, but I'm certain that the entire group didn't think this is going to be a huge assault. But when things start to happen, uh, the intent can change very quickly. Right. And I'm sure many of the people
0: who showed up for the initial protest uh, did not follow that group into the Capitol, uh, right. just looking at the numbers. So uh, the question becomes, while this Capitol there were reports that people were chanting, let's let's get this, let's get that, let's kill this person, let's hurt this person, uh, when that group is chanting that, it's kind of hard for any of the members of that group who end up going into the Capitol to say that they weren't part of this, this uh, mob.
1: And I think that's actually why I think the prosecutors are really focusing on trying to uh, find the planning of like the groups like the Proud Boys, And the three percenters, these are groups um, that were within this mob, people that associated with um, the protesters at the Capitol, the January 6th insurrection. There are are people there that were probably caught up in the moment and were trying to go in. There are people that trespass but aren't charged with violent acts. There are other people um, that prosecutors believe, you know, planned. Things like leaving, there were were some people that outside certain areas had left pipe bombs. There were people that had brought certain types of weapons in, um, and that you know to to try to get a specific intent for the mob to try to tie these Proud Boys or these other people together because. I'm not sure about D.C. law or federal law, but certainly in Virginia law, when when someone is part of a mob and holding the intent, if they if they knew that there are other members of the mob that were intending to physically assault people, they knew that they were trying to whether it's Congress people or police, if they shared those intents then those individuals within that group are equally culpable whether or not they themselves, that particular officer on the head or other police officers who were assaulted that day. Yeah. But um, even when
2: they, um, but even in the Iverson case, when they overturned it, they talk about, the court says not every incidence of group violence or assault of conduct, which involves a group of people constitutes a mob assault. They say if the evidence merely proves that the individuals were independently reacting adversely and violently that's not enough to establish mobs. So it all just depends. It's going to be a very factually based scenario, whether it's the Iverson case at the bowling alley, whether it's the protests, um, regardless of what the, the facts are, it's going to come down to the individual facts in that case, not just a generalization.
3: And I think Tony brought up a, oh, go ahead, Tony. I was just going to say, adding on to what Ann said, it's going to also depend on circumstantial evidence because uh, you don't know what somebody was thinking necessarily at the time. So what uh, Anna was saying, if you show up to an assembly with weapons, that might tend to show what your intent is uh, when you're at that group. But
2: does it? I mean, people have a right to possess, like our Second Amendment gives you that right. So people that normally carry just having the weapon doesn't necessarily, I mean, it could be a point of where they say you brought this wanting to cause violence, but it also is a constitutional right to
1: carry.
0: And, you know, a lot of people might just carry zip ties around in a given day. I'm just (laughs) So, I don't so agree. <laughs> I
1: will. I will say that I don't agree that I, if I walked into the Capitol with a firearm, I would expect that I would be arrested and taken from me. I don't believe you have a Second Amendment right to storm the Capitol and take your firearm in there. I actually I think, think what, that it's an act. I, it I don't I, mean necessarily I hear, yeah.
2: storming. I mean more just being present, just having. Yeah, and I, and I think
0: Anne was saying like when they first arrived at the scene, they were just carrying their weapon which they had, they had a right to. Now, and, and the other point is, what if this group of people uh, could you have? More than one mob within that group. Can you have uh, I guess we would call factions? You have one group says, Hey, I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go storm that capital, and they're chanting themselves, let's go get Pelosi, let's go get Pelosi, let's go get Pelosi. And the other group is just saying, Hey, I just want to go inside uh and see what's going on. Uh, can you have multiple can you have multiple groups, or does one group transfer their intent to the entire group?
1: I guess it's it's hard to say. I mean, if you saw people who had an intent that you didn't have let's say people are like i'm gonna go get nancy pelosi you didn't have that intent at first and then you're like you know what i agree and i'm gonna go with you like you can change your mind you can you can change your mind i do want to point out with the second amendment thing and this is this is this is i want people to know whether or not you believe in absolute right to carry or not there are reasonable restrictions whether you consider the reason there are restrictions on firearms on the nation's capitol mall and other places where you cannot carry So I don't want people, you know, if you want to carry your firearm in the nation's capital, please check regulations. If you want to challenge those laws by being arrested, great. That's fine for you. But I want to make it very clear that like that, you know, that that on a side note, that is we're not endorsing that you go carry firearms anywhere where you're not quite sure that you can have them.
3: And even Um, within Virginia, uh, although there are rights, you don't have a right to conceal a weapon unless you have a concealed carry permit. Uh, for a firearm, uh, and there are other restrictions on weapons. So even though uh, Anne is right, there are uh, Second Amendment rights uh, for weapons, there are limitations.
1: Right. So I think in the specific area of the Capitol, but in areas like, you know, if you're just in a, if, if you're at home, or you're at a park, or you're somewhere in, you know, Virginia, that's not a federal installation or something that's, if you're somewhere like that, um, and you're, you're with a group of people and you're and you are lawfully carrying a firearm. That by itself is not indicative of your um, intent to to harm somebody else because you have a right to carry that at, at any time with your concealed weapons permit. Uh, That's your question.
2: Um, yeah, my point yeah. is just that you are like just the fact that you have a gun doesn't necessarily mean you are inciting violence. That's the only thing that I was trying to.
3: Yeah. And I would agree with that. And I think uh, it's a circumstance. So that might be not have any relevance to the situation or it might be relevant it all depends like you were saying before upon all the facts and circumstances
0: i mean there's tons of facts that we we would look at if you're if a person's walking down the street yelling let's go to policy and they actually have a gun in the air (laughs) follow me follow me that's a problem uh right but it leads me to another question and this is i think uh Another interesting point: What happens if that mob goes in, or that mob forms in order to go assault somebody, or worst case scenario, maliciously wound somebody? Uh, but they part of that group goes in and starts stealing items, like a podium, like a flag, like a portrait out of the the, the room. It's everyone now responsible for that under the under the mob assault and concert of action uh, laws of Virginia.
1: Well, I think theft is a different area where, you know, whether someone is a concert of action in stealing things, you know, whether you can be a principal in the second degree on that, but, you know, nothing, you know, stealing a painting isn't part of the mob uh, mob assault uh, that we've been talking about. Um,
0: what destruction but, of property be because they had to get inside.
1: destruction uh, well,
2: pro- I mean, it brings you back to, Like the getaway driver, like someone that's driving the car where they've gone in and robbed a bank, or they've participated in a shooting, and you got someone driving and someone doing the shooting. Like you all can be charged collectively, even though the
1: driver isn't the one with the gun. You know, right? That's absolutely. That's I think that in some some types of charges. You can have collective action. Larceny is something where you can have concert of action in principle Robbery, in a second degree. Bar. Robbery. You can form plans to do those things. But destruction is not one of them. One of the tough things, one of the reasons they're trying to perhaps create these specific mobs in their investigations is because it's very likely that they will never be able to figure out what blow actually killed Officer Signet. Like he was hit a bunch of times. Um, He died eventually of, you know, multiple wounds. If you can't show mob action, then you just have a bunch of little assaults that you can charge people with, like assaulting a police officer. Which again, those are crimes. And in Virginia, if you were charged with assault on a police officer, that would be, you know, a class six felony. But you know, hitting him once a in mandatory the six
2: months in Virginia if you assault yep. a law enforcement officer.
1: So, yep. Right, mandatory six months. But you know, it. You know, I'm sure the prosecutors want more than the mandatory six months for the life of Officer Signe. I mean, I, I guarantee that. They're trying any way, shape or form to to get as much, you know, as many people responsible as possible brought to justice. And in their mind, that's probably a lengthy prison term.
0: Let me ask you, is there a way to bring that up to manslaughter? I mean, if one single punch, for instance, in Virginia, you can knock somebody out with one punch and unfortunately the person dies or you punch somebody just, you know, just punch somebody and it cuts the person. Arguably, that is malicious wounding because any cut or stab. With an intent, of course, uh, to to disable or or, or name, this figure disfigure, or kill, yeah,
1: and and you are
0: charged. right, and you are, you know, your con- what's what's the saying? Like uh, you intend the consequences
3: of your action, the natural and probable consequences. Natural and right. probable consequences. Of so, action. In, so,
1: and in Virginia, I would say that although you can get charged with malicious wounding or manslaughter with one punch, it's that's very rare because it's hard to show that if you got in a fist fight with somebody that your intention was to maim, disfigure, or kill. There are cases where we know that that has occurred, but there's a lot of situations where juries and judges don't find somebody guilty of having the intent to maim, disfigure, or kill when you're in a fist fight with somebody and you punch them once. Um, it could
0: happen, though. I mean, just just it, it can. It all depends on what jurisdiction the prosecutor, right. all that stuff.
1: Well, death happened. There was a case out of Alexandria years ago where this guy named Skylar Jones, they named the skate park out of it after him. Um, and I think he was hit in the back of the head or something by this other kid. It was very, super tragic. And I think there was manslaughter charges out of that. I forget exactly how it happened, but you know, it was I think he died of a subdural hematoma. I mean, first of all, I think you know, you have to be clear that anytime you hit anybody in the head, you keep your
0: hands to yourself. That's keep your, don't advice. hit people.
1: I mean, it's probably. <laughs> um,
2: but you but are allowed I- to defend yourself. So let's talk about like if you're out in a sure. situation like this and things are breaking loose. Like what if you are caught in a situation where you're just trying to defend yourself against some of these actions like. How hard is that to prove if they're trying to charge everybody and you say, look, I only pushed or I only hit or I only busted through that door to get away from everybody? Or, you know, like, how do you defend yourself in that kind of situation?
0: Right. That's a good point. Because what if you do get in a fight with somebody, you're the only two in the room, you happen to punch this one person once and that person dies. I mean, how are you going to it's now basically your burden to say, hey, (laughs) wait a second, he did this to me.
3: And that's and if you do get charged and that's going to have to be your defense is self-defense. Unfortunately, it requires you going to trial unless the prosecutor agrees that that is a valid self-defense claim. Right. Well, they I just had it,
2: that case in Fairfax that where the a judge issued a, uh, an opinion on some of the discovery stuff that was issued or that was presented where there was a witness. Somebody, the, what was it the person that was charged saying, look, he was coming at me. Yeah. I was just defending myself and the person is dead now, but there's another witness that says what they saw in terms of oh, what's yeah. going on. You know?
3: Right. I know what you're talking about. Long gone and they can't find him. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't given to the, uh, uh-huh.
0: yep, yep, yep. There's a whole bunch of issues in that case.
3: So. Yeah, self-defense is always a good defense if you have the facts to uh, substantiate it, but unfortunately uh, it is a defense, which means that you might be going to trial on that theory.
2: And it could well, be for you or someone else. Let's say you see somebody else getting beat up or some people attacking someone mm-hmm. and you go in to try to defend them and then you end up charged. Um, you may find yourself defending that sort of an offense too. And all you were trying to do was help the person that initially was getting hurt. And I think in that
1: bowling alley case, like, you know, when we're talking about Iris's case, like there's a lot of pe- situations where there would be a defense of others defense in that, like, or self-defense, either one would be absolute defenses and you would, you would have evidence. I think. The difficulty here is in, uh, I mean, in, in the Capitol riots, is the people, the people who are being hit are the hitting police officers, and if police officers are hitting them back. You don't have a right to just hit a police officer and, and break into the Capitol. So, like, that's a little different to be able you having self defense or defense of others as your mindset, and defense of others does not include uh, stopping to steal. It definitely doesn't include, you know, saying I'm overturning an election. That's not an appropriate defense. So the appropriate defense is, you know, defense, defense of others. But if a police officer is trying to keep you out of something and you're attacking him, there's you can't probably claim self-defense or defense of others. If you cause
3: the situation that requires you to later defend yourself, there could be a situation where it's no longer self-defense. You're either
2: technically getting into areas of obstruction of justice and things like that, where an officer is trying to engage in the duties to keep everybody safe in the public and protect everyone And then they're not able to do that because your conduct is interfering with their ability um, to keep the peace in that whatever's going on in that situation.
0: Well, it's the same on, uh, you know, every other kid and like just crimes in general. They always add or lead to many other interesting facts and other crimes that can be broken or can be charged as well. So, I mean, here you have a protest that was originally gathered for peaceful means, I, I would suspect. And next thing you know, you have one actually five people ended up dying uh and you have the storming of the capital and you have destruction of property you have theft inside there and boy as a prosecutor it must be really hard to determine to pick and choose which people they're going to charge
2: well and that's the thing when you get into these situations that become public and there's pressure on people to proceed. like then they start looking for every charge they can get you on they're not just looking to make a deal or or let some people go, they're looking to get everyone they can for whatever many, however many crimes, no matter what they are,
1: you know. And they're looking for the best charges. I mean, they're, they, because they do not want to lose these cases. So they're trying to get, they're trying to sew up any kind of uh, pre-planning by people. So, you know, not Joe Schmo came in with his wife and was at the rally and didn't go into the Capitol or even the ones that went into the Capitol and are charged with basically trespass or unlawful entry that those people you know, who didn't violently engage in anyone or affiliated with any of those other groups. I think that generally those cases will be relatively routine. Maybe I'm wrong, but I think that the ones where people are involved in violence, they're going to try to get the tightest cases on those people. And and I'm sure they've been scouring hours of footage because the video footage in these cases, the preservation of that kind of evidence is going to be key for any trial in this case.
3: Right. And that's the thing. Uh, I mean, in this particular case, the one in the Capitol, there's tons of cameras. But even in everyday living, there's lots of cameras everywhere, uh, lots of people that are recording what's happening. And so there are fewer and fewer occasions where you can say it didn't happen that way because something's going to be on tape somewhere or on digital video somewhere.
2: Or even just audio, even if they don't have a video, you could still hear, you know, what's
1: being said or done.
0: So Any last thoughts that uh, anyone has? Alberto,
1: I feel like we. I can't fully understand your position and maybe it's because i can only see half of your head that no one else can see because it's a podcast
0: you guys can't take my entire head okay <laughs> you can only have the top of my mind so it's totally let me move up so you guys can see me on this podcast i apologize <laughs> um and i apologize to the audience who has no yeah they have no idea
2: what's going on but <laughs> I don't
0: i'm think, sorry i
2: don't think they want to know <laughs> no, no, I think
0: <laughs> I, I mean, for Pete's sake, I, I get a little bit relaxed on my chair, and next thing you know, I'm I'm destroying the entire podcast. I, apo- I apologize for being distracting. There's no um, relaxing here. Over there. <laughs> I'm just waiting for July first so I can take another right. other. So uh, moving
2: along, it's imp- <laughs> it's important as we're kind of wrapping up today just to understand that being in a group and just saying I didn't do something may not be enough to get you out of charges or. To win your case, um, you really have to take positive action to really leave the situation. Or if you're going to engage in behavior, you have to make sure that it's lawful so that you're not being charged. Or if you are charged, you have defenses to it.
3: Right. And like we were talking about, everything is very fact specific. So even if you think uh, you're just there for protests, things can change uh, as the situation develops. You just need to be cognizant of what's going on around you. Be aware that you might end up being in something that you did not originally intend to be in.
1: And I think we see this a lot, especially with juveniles, um, where they're at a location like a bowling alley or a movie theater and things escalate with another group of juveniles. And, you know, for the kids out there, like it's a good time to disperse when things get bad. But it's really hard to go against peer pressure and not stay with your friends and, and protect them. But if there's ever a time to practice your Houdini that is it, and get out of that group so that uh, you're not you're not guilty by association in this case.
3: Then you can really say, "I'm not with them." Yep, <laughs> I like to say, "Make like a motor and run." <laughs>
0: I kind of made that up just now. I, I'm not sure where I heard that before, but I am going to pat myself on the back.
3: Thank you very much.
2: There you go. There you, there you have it, everyone. That's that's what you need to do when you're in these
1: situations. <laughs> Make tell a dad joke like, like a- Alberto.
3: <laughs> Thanks for joining us on Crime Time. Please join us again for our next episode.